0: You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly, and I'm here with special guest Brian Allred, and he is the president and CEO of World Praise and America Praise and is involved in a number of different prayer and missions movements around the world. And I am excited to share with you some of what God is doing with 24-7 prayer and local churches coming together in cities and states and nations to worship and to pray and to intercede and to cry out. God is moving in amazing ways and maybe some ways you haven't heard of before. And I'm also going to ask Brian about some of his challenges in prayer because uh, I think he's had some seasons that have been challenging and struggles with his family and unanswered prayer. And I think this is something we all go through. And so if you're in a season, you're tuning in today, maybe you have a delay in an answer to prayer, or it seems like God's not answering you today. I want to encourage you. God wants to speak to you today and he wants to give you faith. And so I'm going to ask Brian about that. And so you're going to want to make sure you tune in and stay on
1: this whole episode today. Well, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matthew, so honored and excited to be with you, man. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your community. Yes, for sure, for sure. Well, I love what I know of you, and I love what
0: I see God doing, and we have some mutual friends who speak very highly of you, and we've had, I think, maybe a few conversations or been on some Zoom calls together or something like that, but I'm excited to continue to get to know you a little bit more. Since it's your first time on the podcast, maybe just uh, share a little bit about what you're doing. I really want to ask you about your uh, some of your journey, and you're involved in these major prayer movements. You've really become a father, a leader in the global prayer movement, but I know that started somewhere. I mean, I think on your website, it says you came to know Jesus when you're only four years old. And so you've been following the Lord for a while, and He's swept you up into some crazy things. So yeah, just introduce yourself to our community here.
1: Yeah, thank you, Matthew. So born in LA, uh, 49 years ago, I turned 49 tomorrow. So be celebrated Happy my 49th birthday, birthday here in Guatemala. Thank you, brother. Yeah. So born in, born in Southern California, uh, Glendale, we were part of a church called Church on the Way with Pastor Jack Hayford, the beloved, beloved pastor, yeah. America's pastor. And so he prophesied actually over my mom when she was eight months pregnant with me about the nations. And so when I was about a year old, my family got sent uh, to Costa Rica to be missionaries. So uh, lived there two years, came back to LA, and then we went to Guatemala. And so I actually got saved in Guatemala when I was four years old. Had an encounter with Christ at the age of four, four and a half. I still remember it 45 years later. And uh, so my my spiritual roots began, you know, in Guatemala, in Latin America. And then. Which is where you are right now. We were talking about that before we started recording. You're in Guatemala now. Back to where it all started. Didn't think we'd be living back here, but God brought us back with my family. So I came here as a missionary kid. Now my kids get to be here and experience that. So it's a beautiful country. God's doing amazing things here. I, I got. Water baptized when I was 12 in Costa Rica. And uh, two nights after I got water baptized, I had a dream. And Satan was chasing me, trying to kill me. Mm. He didn't have a pitchfork, but he was very scary, for sure. And then I, I cried out, Jesus. I could barely get out his name. I was so scared. And then Jesus showed up, cast him out with one word, just said, go. Satan left. Jesus and I sit down on a park bench because in dreams and with Jesus, anything you know can magically appear. Of course. And so we sit down at this park bench outside my house. And Jesus put his arm around me, looked me in my eyes, Matthew, I'll never forget it, can never forget those eyes. And he said, would you devote your life to preach my word? And so that was at 12 years old. So awesome. in, in the dream, it seemed like we talked for five hours. We got up, we walked around, actually on the park bench, he, with his finger, said, I'm going to give you a new name. And he wrote a new name. Now, I didn't, it wasn't English. It wasn't Spanish. I didn't reckon until I went to seminary and I studied Hebrew. And I was like, I've seen these letters before. Jesus gave me a new name on that park bench, right? Mm. So just beautiful encounter with Christ. About five hours later, I wake up, it's five in the morning and my dad's pacing over my bed and says, did you meet Jesus? Wow. And I was like, wait a minute, how do you know? I Yeah, I was just talking to him, but how do you know? <laughs> so that was more than a dream. Like that was, you know, that wasn't a pizza dream. Yeah. And my dad said, I felt the glory of God coming in your room about midnight. I've been praying over you for five hours and I heard you talking to Jesus. What did he say? And I was like, Wow. That was real. Well, a lot that what I'll never forget, what, I mean, what really stood out was, when well, you devote your life to preach my words. About five in the morning, my dad said, if that's what you feel called to do. So I knelt beside the bed, 12 years old, dedicated my, my life to be a preacher of the word. Mm. And my dad said, you know, Brian, if you want to be a preacher, you need to spend an hour every morning in prayer and an hour in the word. So let's do that right now. So we prayed for an hour on our knees, and then we got out our Bibles and I read the Bible. So that became part of my life at the age of 12. Really, really, really grateful that I had parents that taught me the word at a very young age. And Matthew, I fell in love. I fell in love with the Bible. My dad asked me to help him start writing sermons. So 12 years old, cool. being in the back of a Jeep in Costa Rica with the Strongest concordance, you know, doing a, a Greek word study on love. And uh, I was like, man, this could be a job one day, you know? And so <laughs> that, that's been my great love affair with Jesus is, is his word. You know, the other night I do the Gospel of John every day. I listen to it every day. So my kid said, how many times have you gone through the Gospel of John? I said, I don't know, I, I guess over the last 30 years, about 3000 times, I guess, you know, and so just love God's word. Every time you read it, it's more beautiful. You yeah. see something you didn't see the time before. And so that's where I got my call at the age of 12, started studying the scriptures, you know, did stupid teenage stuff like, like every other teen, but, of but had a deep, deep love for God. Went to Bible school at 17, graduated at 19, became an assistant pastor upstate new york two days after i graduated from bible school and then uh, wow. my wife came mercy came from honduras of all the bible schools in all the world she came to mind hmm. and uh two years later i was just a boy standing in front of a girl asking her to love me and so knelt down and said hey i believe you're the one for me i don't want to date you i want to marry you so you know thank god she was a woman of the spirit because she didn't slap me i mean we'd never i'd never even told her she was pretty i just really? out of nowhere i just said hey I, I just felt like i've been praying about this for over a year." I believe you're the one and I want to marry you and travel the world and, and preach the gospel. If you don't want to do that, I don't want to date. I don't want to, I don't want to play around. So wow. yeah, we got married in 97. Uh, so been married almost 27 years, April 97. So going on, going on 27, three kids, uh, Chloe's 19, Colin's 17, and my youngest, Lauren is 14. And so just loving Jesus about a year ago, the Lord called us down to Guatemala. And so we're, we're here for a season, but yeah, just loving Jesus, loving his bride. You know, when anyone compliments me on my wife, and she's very extraordinary, and you marry up, and then there's what happened with me and mercy. It's favor ain't fair. (laughs) When anyone anyone compliments me on my wife, that endears them to my heart, right? And I think it's the same with Christ, in spite of her many, many flaws. And I I see them. I see the flaws in the church. But he's coming back for a glorious church, a bride without spot or wrinkle. And and he's very protective of his bride. And so, you know, I've, I've grown to love the diverse parts. I get to Be in Italy with one group of churches. And then next I'm in Switzerland with a totally different. And then, then I'm in Africa with a very different brand of Christianity. And just, you you get to fall in love with his bride. Yeah. We got to love him. We also got to love his bride. So man, just loving what God's doing here in Guatemala. And so in that journey, you know, we pastored Matthew uh, for quite a few years. We planted a church out of that church. helped help plant three other churches and did a leadership college, did the TV show, did all that TBN and all that fun stuff. But, there were two things that happened to us in Albuquerque that were really significant in that journey. One was 09. I got a call from a pastor in Argentina. And he said, Brian, don't forget that God called you to Albuquerque to build the city mm. and to transform the city, not to build a big church. He said, God's called you there. Jeremiah 29, seven, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you and pray for that city. Cause if the city prospers, you prosper. Yeah. So he said, how's your church? Oh man, our church is doing great. And about to start a TV show and da, da, da. he goes, How's your city? Mm. Oh my city's a disaster. I mean like right. cities falling apart, record homicides, record drug trafficking, record assaults. And he said, you know, you're there for the city. You're, you're yeah. not there for the church. You're there to be a light in a dark place. And so that began our journey of how do we serve a city? How how do you pastor a city? I mean, th- there were books on it that you could read, but I hadn't actually seen anyone do that. So I didn't really have a you know working model. I, I knew guys that built great churches. And so we were trying to figure that out, you know, stumbled through it. We served one school for a long time and then God opened up the whole school district. And so, mm. yeah, just began that journey of how would we, Jeremiah, seek the prosperity, the good, the welfare, right? The peace and prosperity of your city and pray for it. So prayer, so there's a prayer component, but there's also a missional component where you're actually working for the good of your community. And, and that was in Jerusalem, right? Right, they're, they're in captivity. They're in Babylon and God is saying, where you're in captivity in the most wicked city in human history, if people will pray and seek the welfare, I could even bring transformation there. And so that gave us a new love for the city of Albuquerque, started to love the city, started to weep over the city, started to care, started to get involved. And over that time, we got involved with the mayor and the chief of police and the school district and, and et cetera, et cetera, and the governor. And, you know, just little by little, none of that happened fast. Yeah. The, the second thing, Matthew, turning point was spring of 2016. So we were pastoring our church. I began serving with the Billy Graham Association back in 2013. So I was his first estate coordinator for them and then a regional manager, went full time with Billy Graham Association, who was one of my absolute heroes. So to oh, get to course. go be, you know, yeah. manage 10 states for, for anyone named Billy Graham was an incredible honor. Of course. And, uh, so doing that, so I traveled during the week, do pastors' lunches, things like that equipping, training, hiring staff, and then come back, preach at my church on the weekends. And life was great. I was loving. We were in a good season as a church. And uh, my, my daughter, Chloe, got sick. She was 12. So that was kind of the turning point in our story. Mm-hmm. Uh, spring of 2016, she's 12 years old. She's sixth grade. She's running track. She's a sixth grader, starting point guard on the eighth grade team. So she's credible incredible athlete, running track, taking first, second, or third in just about every meet. She goes to track meet. I was gone on a Billy Graham trip doing a pastor's lunch. She, she was at a track meet, got sick, and they just thought it was some kind of flu. I mean, it could be anything, you know, at a track meet. And uh, she got sick, was hospitalized for a couple of days, with, with really violent stomach pain, unexplainable, because mm-hmm. the blood work was good. The CT scan was good. MRI was good. They couldn't find why, but just really violent level 10 pain. Yeah. But she got better. She got to the hospital. So about a week later, I went on another Billy Graham trip and- Mercy calls again. I, I think I was in Arkansas, baby fly home. Chloe's back in the ER. It's really bad. And so that happened like four or five times in, in over a period of about four weeks. So I said, okay, I need to, I need to stay home. I'm not traveling again until Chloe's better, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, they tried to treat her nerve pain and, and the medication that they gave her. There were complications. She ended up in a wheelchair. And so uh, my athlete is in a wheelchair. So we, we'd gone out to Virginia Beach. My wife's a professor at Regent University. So we were there. We're on Virginia Beach on the boardwalk. Chloe's 12 years old. She's running. She's, she's in stomach pain, but she's running. She's happy. She jumps in my arms. It's a great night. We go upstairs. I, you know, I grill some steaks. place we were staying in Virginia Beach, and the next morning she can't walk. Mm. She got out of bed and fell on her face and nearly broke oh her nose. And I got to carry my 12-year-old daughter down three flights of stairs to the local ER and say, hey, my daughter has stomach pain, but but why can't she walk? And Yeah. Their best guess is that she had some kind of virus affecting her nervous system. And somehow with that medication, it's like one in a million chance that that could happen. But it happened to her. Yeah. And so now she's in a wheelchair. And then, then one day she can't open her eyes, literally cannot open her eyelids. Yeah. Uh, she's scared to death. Her world, everything has gone dark. And um, so I'd have to hold her eyelids open to talk to her. Crazy. And then on, you kind of that crisis of faith, crisis of family moment was May 13th, 2016. She, she got complete amnesia in the children's hospital. And so she didn't know her name. And so I had to hold her eyelid open and the neurologist tested her 20 questions. She didn't know any of them. Mm. And so basic as what's your name? She, she didn't know. Where do you go to school? And she said, what, 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 what a school. A 12 year old honor student started talking like a two year old. And I just like, does she have a stroke? Mm. Like what's happening here? you know? Oh my gosh. And I uh, didn't know the year, didn't recognize her mother, didn't know what a mother was, didn't recognize her brother and sister, didn't know what a brother and sister were. She had one memory. She knew I was dead. I said, Chloe, do you know who I am? Mm. And she said, you dad, that you love me. Mm. And I said, uh, Chloe, I don't know what's happening to you, but Jesus is going to heal you. Mm. And she said, who, who Jesus? And she was one of the most on fire radical. She'd been leading worship since she was five years old. She was a 12 year old worship leader. Wow. at our church on fire for God. And I was like, what, you know who Jesus is? No, I don't think so. And I said, you know, he died on a cross. What's a cross? I said, honey, you know, you take a tree and you cut it down and you do this. And she said, what's a tree? I said, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> and mm. so I said, Lord, how am I going to get her to you? She doesn't know who you are. And he said, that's okay. I know who she is. Yeah. She's my daughter. Mm. And he said, she doesn't know me, but she knows you and your love will heal her. So that day we had the top two neurologists in our state come in and they, they both said, look, we don't think your daughter's ever going to walk again. We've never seen paralysis come on this quick that it was ever reversible. Wow. We don't know why the stomach pain, we can't figure that out. The migraines we can't figure out. Uh, so she's going to have to learn how to live in a wheelchair with basically level 10 pain the rest of her life. Mm. And we don't know why her eyelids won't open, but at some point they should open and we don't know why she has amnesia, but most people recover from amnesia. So, it could take days. It could take months. We don't know. You know. We think her memory, there's no brain damage. So we think at some point, you know, her memory will come back. And my wife's a college professor. She had to go teach her class. And so yeah. it was just me and Chloe. They put Chloe to sleep. She was in so much pain. Her vitals were spiking. They put her to sleep. Went to the corner of the room, Matthew, and just, just cried out. And said, Lord, don't take my baby girl. No, yeah. Please don't take my baby girl. This doesn't look good. Don't look like she's going to make it to the end of the month. You know, and I heard the voice of God that that I'd known since I was a young child. I heard the voice of God, but it's not what I wanted to hear. It's not what I'd hoped to hear. I wanted to hear she's going to be healed. And that's not what he said. He, he said, if you'll start day and night prayer, I'll take care of Chloe. And I was like, I don't want to start day and night prayer right now. I don't (laughs) right now. I don't really believe in prayer. Like I believe in Jesus. He's talking to me about this right now. (laughs) Yeah. I believe in the cross. I believe in the Bible. I don't really believe in prayer right now because. Six weeks ago, she had a stomachache, you know, now, right. now she doesn't know her name, can't open her eyes, like prayers backfired, you know? So I was like, I don't want to start prayer. And, and I, I don't even know how to do that. In I wouldn't know how to do that in Albuquerque, you know? And so and God yeah. said, not just Albuquerque, but the whole state and the whole nation and the whole world, <laughs> day and night prayer till I come back. And, you know, I just wrestled for about an hour, like, like brother Jacob, we, we wrestle with God, you know, but, but he's going to win. Yeah. Love, yeah. love's going to win in the end. And his, his love overcame my heart. I was hurt. I was broken. I was confused. I was hurting. Mm. Very disappointed Can't with God. Imagine. Yeah. Cause for, for six weeks we fasted and prayed and did everything and, and every faith preacher, healer that could have prayed for her did. And we we did everything, you know, and nothing she got significantly worse every time we mm. prayed. It's like maybe if we stop praying, she'll get better. I don't I don't know. Like, let's try the non prayer prayer strategy. You know, I don't know. Like yeah. this cause this isn't working, you know. And uh, God just said, give, give me Chloe, and, and you you focus on day and night prayer, and I'll I'll take care of Chloe. Mm. You know, it was a very slow journey. Her memory came back. Her, she was able to open her eyelids. It took about six months to get out of the wheelchair, but she got out of the wheelchair. She never got back to sports. Yeah. But, you know, it's been seven and a half years, and, and she's still sick. She's still battling really debilitating migraines and some other illnesses, some yeah. uh, irritable bowel syndrome and some things. And so this year, she was in the hospital twice. Wow, and so you know, you just you you get broken, and you feel hopeless, and when God doesn't answer prayer, and I think the Bible's a lot more honest about unanswered prayer than churches are, because <laughs> yeah. I could tell you, I've heard ten thousand sermons in the power of prayer, maybe one sermon on unanswered prayer, you know, but the Bible's verse, talks a lot about that, you know. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how you
0: how you balance that because you're leading
1: prayer <laughs> movements and
0: you're you're saying. Let's yeah. pray because it's going to make a difference and things are going to change and there's going to be revival and people are going to be saved and healed. And yet you're living in this personal pain and this, in, in many ways, still lingering unanswered prayer in yeah. something that's so personal and and obviously painful at times and emotional to you and your family. How do you navigate that? I mean, I know there's other people that are tuning in today. They're in the same same situation you are, maybe not. With their daughter but there's some kind of painful situation there's some kind of circumstance and things aren't shifting things aren't changing how do you navigate that in your own life in your own heart hey guys this is matthew we'll get back to the episode in just a moment if you're enjoying the podcast please consider joining presence pioneers premium our brand new subscriber community Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.com. PresencePioneers.org, or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast, and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org
1: to sign up today. Yeah, Matthew, that's a great question. Really, it's God, God's Word that has anchored us yeah. And I don't mean that in a cheap cliche way at all. I mean that in a yeah. real deep level. Just, just God's word has anchored us. So either it's all true, or it's, or none of it's true, right? Like if, if at any point God's a liar, the whole thing falls apart, right? Yeah. So either all of God's word is true or none of it's true. And if God's word says He's faithful, then even though I don't see it, even though I don't feel it, then either He's faithful or He's not. So and cho- it's a choice. It's a, it's a choice to believe that God is faithful, even when. All my circumstances say he's not being faithful. You know. Mm. All of Job's friends and even Job's wife said, Hey, you're cursed by God. I mean, God must be really mad at you. There must be some secret sin in your life, God's punishing you for. So curse God and die, you know, because all the evidence, outward evidence, said you've lost God's favor. God's not for you. God's not answering your prayer. Something right. must be wrong with you. And I think we tend to do that. We tend to either blame ourselves, either we didn't pray hard enough, or maybe we forgot to tithe. I just don't think God does that kind of stuff. I don't believe a good totally. good father's like that so yeah. you miss a tithe check he's gonna you know put your daughter in a wheelchair i just don't believe that about our god or yeah. or, or we blame him either we blame ourselves so we fell short or we end up blaming god you know it goes back to the garden you know adam was blaming eve he was blaming the snake the snake blames satan satan's right. like Who, oh yeah no it was me you know and so <laughs> it's like you know it's this eternal blame game you know that we have and so we just chose to believe that god was faithful If Chloe never got healed, that he was faithful. If in that journey she passed, uh, uh, you know, if God took her early to heaven, that he was faithful, no matter what pain or grief or confusion or disappointment or promises we thought we had, that that Jesus is real and his word is real. And I have more than enough reasons to thank him the rest of my life because he died on Calvary's cross. So he doesn't have to do anything for me ever again. And so I, I, I prayed that prayer. If you never answer one more prayer, Mm -hmm. I have more than enough reasons to thank you and praise you the rest of my life. Yeah. And so, you know, we just determined that we could serve God with a broken heart. So Mm -hmm. our our hearts are still broken because it's seven years and she's still not fully well. So maybe somebody listening, you're in that pain with your spouse or a loved one or a child or a parent. and God hasn't answered that prayer for seven years, 20 years, 30 years. You know, the Bible says we have this hope, this anchor that carries us within the veil. And I really think that anchor is, is both Jesus, but also his word. Yeah. Uh, Jesus reveals himself through his word. So we anchor into that. You know, when when Satan came against Jesus, he he fought him with the word. They, they overcame him by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the lamb. And they love their lives, not unto death, Revelation 12. And so, you mm-hmm. know, we've just tried to, to stay in the word. We've had our, our moments where we've doubted. About two years ago, I wrote my resignation letter to the chairman of my board mm-hmm. and just said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm too broken. I'm too hurt. Chloe's still not well. I don't want to lead a prayer when my own prayers don't seem to work. <laughs> and I feel broken. And part of me feels like a fraud. Like if, if prayer works, then why doesn't it work for your family? Right. So you you right. carry that tension, you carry that pain. So two years ago I was gonna wrote my resignation letter for world praise and yeah. And about to hit send. And the Holy Spirit said, I, I don't accept your resignation letter. You can serve me with a broken heart. Wow. Psalm 34, 18, because the Lord is near the broken in heart. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I just want to encourage everyone out there who's has an unanswered prayer, keep praying. Yeah. Keep praying. Yeah. Some some prayers take a really long time. We haven't given up hope that Chloe one day is going to be fully well. Uh yeah. my spiritual mom prayed for her dad for 50 years. So, mm. you know, some prayers for some reason that only God knows take longer than others, but right. but Jesus is faithful. Jesus loves you. And it's not, a, it's not a sign of God's punishment. God loves you. He's head over heels in love with you. And I, I, for me, prayer is more about, it's about the process. It's about yeah. what God does in us. And I've learned that then more than the end game, right? Prayer is not as much about victory yeah. as it is about learning to surrender to the victor. We want faith for victory, want prayer for victory, but, but God's interested in transforming us mm. into the image of his son. And, and he never promised me comfort. <laughs> you know, he promised me a cross. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, if you ever saw someone walk out of the city with a, carrying a <laughs> wow. cross on their back, you knew one thing. You knew they weren't coming back. So the Christian life is an invitation to die to ourselves. Jesus said to Luke 9, you want to yeah. be my disciple? Take up your cross. Die to yourself. Follow me. Then you can be my disciple. And so every family has their pain. You know, For us, it's been pain with our daughter. But for those listening, it could be in their marriage. There could be pain there. There could be pain. Maybe someone abused them. Maybe. A sibling, maybe bankruptcy, maybe financial right now. God's not answering tithing, and you just can't seem to get over that debt. Keep tithing, yes. keep believing, keep trusting. Here's what I know about God He's yeah. faithful. And if God be for us, who could ever be against us? Yeah. It, it just doesn't happen right away. It didn't happen fast for Moses 40 years in the desert, right? Nothing happens fast. And so trust the yeah. process, trust the Savior. So we're here with broken hearts. Yeah. But we've seen many, many answers to prayer. She's not in a wheelchair anymore, so we're right. grateful for that. She knows who she is. She's just in pain, so we're we're still praying for that.
0: Yeah, thank you for being so vulnerable and open-hearted about that. I, I appreciate that. I think that's going to be so helpful for so many people who can relate deeply to that. Man, our time's going by so fast. I want to make sure that you have some time to share about World Praise and America Praise and what you guys are actually doing, because that was the word you got, right? Do day and night yeah. prayer. Uh, and I'll take care of your daughter, Chloe. And so we haven't even really taken a moment to just explain even what, what that is, what world praise is, what America praise is, kind of what's been growing over the last number of years. So yeah, just take, you know, we've got five or 10 more minutes here. Would love to dive into that and just get a picture of, of what's going on there. Of course. Thank
1: you, Matthew. Yeah. So in the, in that hospital room, the Lord called us today night prayer. There were two pastors that I knew, one in Bellingham, Washington, Jason Hubbard. And, and Pastor Trey Kent in, in Austin that had done this model of one church adopt a day, right? Every church take one day of prayer a month. And even if you just had thirty churches, right, you could cover your community, your city, or your state, or your nation in day and night prayer. Even with just simple as thirty churches, you could get thirty churches to buy, and each took one day a month, right? And that monthly cycle is 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 something that's, that American churches know well, right? Mm. The communion is on the first Sunday missions offerings on the second Sunday, right? So churches are, are really about the monthly cycles and rhythms. And so we felt, you know, I felt like that would be a good rhythm for Albuquerque. And so we did that. We did a we did a pastor's breakfast, January, end of January of 20, 2017, invited Trey Kent to come share the story about 204 pastors and leaders were there from our city and 42 signed up to take a day of prayer that day. So we thought that takes six months. It took, you know, one day. And so we we launched, Trey shared the seven-year story. And part of that is uh, with, there's prayer fads and prayer trends. Mm-hmm. And, and some initiatives are meant to be seasonal. They're meant to last for three months, six months, a year, mm-hmm. two years. And so we had had every prayer fad. And I don't mean that in a negative way, just it was seasonal, right? It wasn't a long-term thing come through our city. And I felt like pastors in our city, if it feels like one more short-term initiative, they're not going to buy in. But I felt like, okay, and Trey's been doing this seven years in Austin. Jason's been doing it seven years in Bellingham. You can't fake it for seven years. I mean, right? Yeah. Especially in prayer, you, you can't fake it. So, so it has yes. staying power, right? So, yeah. and I liked it that it was local church based. You asked the pastor. So the model is real simple, right? So we, we say to churches, all right, pastor, pick a day a month, one day a month, first day, the first Friday, whatever, whatever that is, take your day of prayer, do a sermon on that. So cast the vision at your church. Hey, we're going to pray with other churches in Little Rock. With other churches in Annapolis, with other churches in Miami, other churches in New York. And we're gonna take our day, right? We're gonna it's like Nehemiah. It's the principle of Nehemiah, right? The genius of Nehemiah was every family built the piece of the wall in front of their house. Yeah. Because you're gonna guard your house. So as a church, take take your you don't have to build other people's prayer walls, but but build up your piece of the wall. You're you're one church among many. Build up your take your day of prayer. We all build up a wall of covering of prayer over our city, over our nation. And so it's it's real simple. So pastors take a day, cast the vision, launch on a Sunday. People sign up. They can pray one hour, thirty minutes, and just twenty-four. Somebody prays at midnight. Somebody prays at one a.m. Somebody prays at three a.m. Uh, a smaller church can do half a day, right? So we didn't want any church left out. Cool. So church has thirty, forty members. They could do half a day, cover twelve hours in prayer. And yeah. you pray anywhere, right? Pray anywhere. You can pray in your car. You can pray at your school, your college dorm, your house, at the church probably about half our churches would would do some kind of prayer meeting on their monthly day of prayer at yeah. the church but, but not all of them do some would do it overnight burn you know uh, if that's their style so it depends on the style of the church and so yeah you know we had catholic churches join and baptist and charismatic pentecostal lutheran methodist uh native american african-american white asian you know rich poor big mega churches and small churches and Messianic yeah. Jew home churches and, and all, all take a day of yeah. prayer. We, we think building that wall of prayer matters. You know, it's, it's yeah. the story of Luke 18. It's, it's the widow at midnight knocking on the judge's door asking for justice. And she kept knocking and kept knocking. And, you know, verse seven, Luke 18 said, Jesus says, and pay attention to what the unjust judge said. Will not your father in heaven send justice? And that quickly, if my children cry out day and night. Yep. And so we, we believe that day and night prayer helps release justice on the earth. Amen. And, uh, so we saw that in Albuquerque. We saw crime go down at historic levels, according to the FBI. Once we started praying, we saw the economy go up. Really miraculous awesome. things. We prayed Jeremiah 29, 7, the peace and prosperity. We were 49th in economy, 50th in family prosperity index. So literally the worst place financially to raise a family. We were last in job growth. So just every indicator at the very, very bottom as a state, we are 250 million deficit bankrupt as a state. And no one's going to bail us out because we're we're not California. No one's going to bail us out, you know. Yeah. And I did a Bible study at the Capitol uh, every week. And so the senator said, Pastor, we, we can't, we, there's not enough money to keep the lights on in the state building. Like, that's how broke we are. I'm like, well, I knew it was wow. bad. Knew it was that bad, you know. Goes, oh, it's, yeah. It's bad. We're bankrupt as a state. Yeah. So we started praying 24-7 prayer. So somebody got up at midnight, and prayed for the economy, right? Somebody prayed. You say was that spiritual yeah before Adam and Eve had a house or a church they had a job right so yeah jobs yeah. are spiritual right, right. so yeah, first yeah. thing God gave them was a job they didn't have clothes yeah. <laughs> or a house but they had a job they, yeah. they were naked and employed and so uh, come on that, that could be that could be a TV show and so they, you funny. know jobs are spiritual so we were, we're praying for jobs in six months within this is a true story Matthew it's all in the book with all the links and all the references, but yeah. uh, they discovered the second largest oil field in North America, in Southern New Mexico. And literally in one week, we went from 250 million deficit to 1.2 billion surplus. Amazing, wow. Only that's like, so cool. prayer didn't put oil in the ground, but, yeah. but prayer revealed the wealth that is there. And I think that's what prayer yeah. does. Prayer reveals the wealth that's already there. The wealth was already there, uh, but, but prayer revealed it. And yeah. they'd been drilling there for a hundred years. It was a discovery that it was bigger than they thought. They'd been drilling there for a hundred years. They just thought it was small. Somehow they did a new scan and they said, whoa, this is the second largest in North America. So some things like that, crime went down, some really significant things. And so it began to spread. So governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stick called me and said, hey, pastor, could you bring this to Oklahoma? So we launched Oklahoma Praise and then, you know, had breakfast with the governor of Texas. And so we said, okay, let's launch Texas Praise and, and then before we launched America Praise, I stepped down from Billy Graham, began the transition out of my church to do this full time. Yeah. And within three months of launching America Praise, we had churches in Sri Lanka and India, Japan, that wanted to take the model of the monthly day of prayer. Yeah. And so I, I said to Dick Eastman, our chairman of the board, I said, Dick, they have Sri Lankas on board, thousands of churches. And so Dick says, how does Sri Lanka fit into America Praise? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, but they, I mean, I wasn't going to turn down thousands of churches that want to pray with us. He right. said, no, no, I mean, we should start world praise right? because we're no longer America praise. So it just grew out of, you know, simple obedience I love it. to say, okay, Lord, we don't know how to do this, but we'll, we'll say yes. So God will take your yes. I, I think the most powerful thing you can ever say to the Lord is yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the resources. We didn't know how we were going to pay for it or sustain our family. Uh, we didn't know any of that, but but when you say yes, uh, God releases all of heaven to back you up. And there's tests, there's trials. There's been some lean seasons, but but when you when you say yes, God will take your yes and do something extraordinary with it. Come on, I love that. It's
0: amazing. I I got your book when people pray, and I started reading it this week. I'm not done yet, but you share even more. I mean, you shared a lot on this on this episode, but there's even more. There's more stories, more insights about prayer. And I want to encourage people to get a copy of this book because we are running out of time on this particular podcast episode. And I just thought I was looking at the table of contents. Some of these chapters are hilarious. Kill Your Ox, chapter five. Chapter seven <laughs> is A Naked Dude and 80,000 Pounds of Hope. <laughs>
1: That's a great story. Chapter
0: 10 says, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. So <laughs> uh, it's it sounds fun. And, and I'm loving what I've read so far. And uh, if, if anybody wants to track with the movement, I think the book would be a great place to start. And of course, we will include all the links to these ministries down in the description so people can connect, find out if there's something happening in their area already, or they may want to see something happen in their city. And and I was even feeling, as you were sharing a couple times on this, that there's some people that are going to be tuning in and they're going to, God's going to give them a heart for their city. Some of you are listening today, and maybe you've been in thinking about your family, maybe your own local church, but God's going to expand that, and you're going to begin to think about that. Jeremiah, seek the welfare of your city and pray for your city. And I think some of you are going to begin to get stirred to do that in new ways, whether that's just in your own personal time, or maybe you're a leader, and you say, hey, we need to begin to pray for our city as a community, as a church. And so, I believe that brian you just carry something and when you begin to talk about it it stirs up even in me i'm thinking about where we are here in eastern north carolina i'm going yeah we need to see transformation here in this region not just our own ministry success but we need to we we want to really see god's kingdom come in all aspects of our society and culture so thank you for stirring that up in me and i know in others Who are tuning in so before you go brian any any final last words or any any other specific ways that you'd want people to connect in with some of the ministries that you're a part of
1: sure yeah you know i I believe this with all my heart i believe that that you are you know a revival waiting to happen i I believe Mm. that 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 everyone listening is a revival waiting to happen and uh, they could be a catalyst for renewal in their community And, and prayer is the spark prayer is the spark of revival it's, it's always prayer every Or said there's no great spiritual awakening that's begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer so prayer's the spark and it usually starts with one one young coal miner named Evan Roberts that got a burden for prayer started praying every night from 12 to 3 a.m. he prayed every night for 3 hours every night from midnight to 3 praying for God to move in the nation of wells and then about 6 months in he had a vision of wells being lifted up to heaven he told his best friend Sydney they started praying together so one became two And then they invited a few girls to come sing for them. And then they started this revival and 100,000 people got saved in six months in the nation of Wells. And so, you know, you don't have to be a preacher to be a catalyst revival. It takes hunger. God responds to hunger. And so that's what I've seen all around the world. And the catalyst could be a one-eyed black preacher, you know, named William J. Seymour, who's sitting in Houston in the hallway of a Bible college because of the color of his skin. He's not allowed to sit in the classroom and he Hmm. kept hearing about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He gets invited out to Los Angeles, preaches that, gets kicked out of the church for preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They locked the doors, kicked them out. One couple invited them to their home to start a prayer meeting. And in that home, that's where Azusa Street Revival began. They outgrew the house prayer meeting, and they moved to rent a little warehouse on Azusa Street, which touched the whole world. And so, it, you know, you don't have to be important or influential or have a platform. You just got to be hungry. Because God responds to desperation, so I would pray for everyone listening that that God would take you deeper in the place of prayer, deeper in the Word, and your hunger would grow and grow and grow, and you would become a catalyst for a move of God in your region and your community. Yeah, come on, awesome, Brian! Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been great, Matthew. What a joy.